Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. It is episode 94 of the podcast and really excited to have you with us because hockey season is in full swing. The NHL opened its season the night before we recorded this episode of the podcast. Connor Bedard has made his NHL debut. We're going to talk about some of the other rookies that are on rosters at the start of this season, a couple of guys, and, and we'll talk a little bit about you know whether or not it's going to be the right decision to keep them there all year or, or what teams should do. We're going to talk about that. We got college hockey underway. Week one was last weekend. We had a bunch of great games on Flow Hockey. We'll talk a little bit about that. Got a bunch more coming up this weekend. Also, the AHL will be starting on uh, the following weekend, the, the weekend after we record this. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then next week, we're going to preview the ECHL, which you, of course, can watch exclusively on Flow Hockey. So we will talk about all of that today. But we're going to start with the NHL because everything is happening. Everybody's excited. The optimism is overflowing. And unless you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, pretty upset about losing to the Chicago Blackhawks on your home opener. Everybody's pretty pumped. I mean, you gotta you gotta feel pretty good about it. Only three teams have lost games so far, and so everybody else feels like they're undefeated, they're ready to go. But the the guys that we're focusing on here on Talking Hockey Sense are the prospects and the rookies. And so the guys that are gonna be making their debuts, we we talked about the Calder Trophy race, obviously Bedard, Fantilli, Cooley, you know, Devin Levi, players like that. But I wanted to talk a little bit today about some of the surprise additions of NHL rosters, guys that we didn't necessarily expect to see on opening night rosters, some that we did expect would make their teams, but still there's you know kind of a little bit more left to decide in what these teams have to kind of do. So before I get into that, just want to remind you, if you have not yet, subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app of choice. You can also catch us on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv or via the Flow Sports app. It is uh, uh, great to have all of you on here. And if you would be ever so kind as to leave a, a kind rating and review on our 
audio apps and that just does help kind of get the word out more about this podcast. We want to continue to bring you to it right here on Flow Hockey and it's been a lot of fun to do it. So let's get into that NHL rookie discussion. I'm going to start with perhaps most surprising to me, but obviously not necessarily surprising after the preseason he had. But I'd say if there was one player that is on an NHL roster this season to start that you would have given me a hundred guesses, I probably would not have guessed that he would have been one of the rookies on this roster. And that would be Matthew Patra from the Boston Bruins. And now Patra was a player that I ranked last season for the draft uh, in, in 2022, 85th overall. So Patra, who played for the Guelph Storm, outstanding draft plus one season last year with over 90 points for Guelph. But he ended up going 54th overall. So obviously he went higher than I had him. And now as we see him make his NHL debut, you start to wonder why did he go even as late as 54. And I'll tell you why that happened. You know, Platra was never a guy that looked like a first-round prospect. So there wasn't a guy that he wasn't somebody that we were going to be looking at as a, you know, superstar potential player. Um, and we still don't look at him that way. But what he is able to do and what he was able to do last season was take a big step forward. He became a better playmaker. He was, you know, his he always had skill. We saw the skill. But he found that level of consistency that seemed to be lacking in previous seasons. And so that's a player that I think, you know, even in a in a situation in Guelph where he wasn't it wasn't necessarily a very good team, he still found a way to stand out. So seeing him make an opening night roster in his draft plus two season uh, as a player that didn't necessarily look like a top tier prospect. I mean, he's beating a lot of guys that went way ahead of him to the NHL. um, And it's a bit of a surprise. Now, the other things that kind of come into play, he's not a huge player. You know, he doesn't have that, that, that size where there's a physical presence that he provides. But if you watch him play in the in the preseason, you saw work ethic, you saw skill, you saw confidence, you saw a guy that really didn't feel like he had anything to lose, which was really impressive. Very rare to see in this setting. But now you've got him on your NHL roster. And the question that I will ask about several of these players is, does the preseason lie? Because we've seen it lie plenty of times before when you've got a player that is younger, but then he ends up kind of, you know, coming out of his shell a little bit and then he makes the team and all of a sudden he's on the team and, you know, you're putting him in games and you kind of learn a lot more about the player when the games are actually live. Now, what I will say is when you're an NHL GM and you're an NHL head coach, you have to at least dangle carrots in front of players, right? You have to say, hey, these are roster spots that are up for grabs. And you have to give it to the person that's most deserving of it because everybody else will realize, hey, that guy should still be here or, hey, that guy shouldn't be here. Um, So I think Poitras did enough to earn a spot. And I think that that's a great thing. Now, the question is for the Bruins, does he stay? Is this a permanent situation? Um, Now, you'll recall, NHL teams get about nine games to get a player into their system and, you know, play nine NHL games, and then they can send that player back to junior before he plays in that 10th game, um, and and his contract will slide. Um, So there's that capability as well to give him an opportunity, but maybe not necessarily make it permanent. 
And I think that's probably what Boston should do. I, you know, when I look at the body of work of Poitras, what I, what I see is a player that absolutely has talent, a player that is on an NHL trajectory, but also a player that, you know, I think the Bruins are making a decision here because they're so soft at the center position right now and have such a lack of depth that they almost had no choice because he was playing the best hockey. I am a big believer in you should not be making prospect decisions based on need. You should be making prospect decisions based on the readiness of the prospect. Now, Plotra played throughout the preseason and made it so he had to be on the roster. But again, I think if I'm the Boston Bruins, I'm treading very carefully because when you have a second round pick that comes on board this early, you're almost playing with found money. And sometimes you can overextend that money and maybe you spend it all in one place. I don't think if you're the Boston Bruins, especially with the trajectory that you're on as a franchise, that you can necessarily do that. I think you're a team that feels like you can still compete. But for me, I think that their caution still has to be the name of the game here, especially for a team that has such a weak prospect system in general with very few top-end prospects, although a number of players have taken big steps, and that includes Mason Lorai, who very nearly made this team. Um, and it includes Johnny Beecher, who now is on the roster. This is uh, this is still a, a delicate situation. So if I'm a Boston Bruins fan, all I care about is that the team does right by the player, that if the player is able to continue to earn his spot, that he stays there, but also that the team doesn't just keep him after the nine games if it's not working out. He will have to go back to Guelph in that scenario. He is of age where he has to go back to the OHL. So that is a, a situation that the Bruins have to monitor closely. So let's talk about some of the other guys. And, and again, this wasn't necessarily a surprise based on how the preseason went, but Zach Benson for the Buffalo Sabres was another guy that absolutely you know, shot out of a can in this preseason and earned his spot with the Buffalo Sabres. I'll say the same thing to the Sabres as I'll say to the Bruins. Let's make sure the preseason didn't lie, that he really is ready, and that you know, you're putting him in situations to succeed. He's got to play. He's got to be in the lineup. Um, you know, got to be put in positions to succeed. That's a guy that I'm really excited to watch because think about all the doubts about Zach Benson that were were raised, his size, his skating ability. But where was one place where no one questioned him? His compete, his ability to battle, his ability, his his desire to get the puck, his his just absolute dog on bone mentality that he had with puck pursuit. That's what gets you a chance if you are a player of his size. Now, on top of that, he has great skill and he has tremendous hockey sense, unbelievable anticipation skills. But also, if I'm in my progression as an organization like the Buffalo Sabres are, and they're believing that they can compete now. You have to make very serious roster decisions. And if Zach Benson is helping your team earn a playoff spot, then he deserves to be there. If he is, this is not a developmental league. If he's not doing that, if he's not earning that spot and not helping the team, you got to send him back to junior. Now, I think there's another factor at play here. There's been a little bit of upheaval in Benson's junior team. He's currently property in the, in the WHL of the Wenatchee Wild. The Wenatchee Wild recently had their head coach, Kevin Constantine, indefinitely suspended by the WHL due to a an incident that, you know, it, it's been unconfirmed. There are reports about, 
you know, what actually was said, but derogatory comments made by Kevin Constantine. He is now out and Wenatchee is looking for a new head coach. So you're also, if you are to send Benson back, he's kind of going into a situation that's a little bit in flux right now. Um, so maybe you want to let, let the dust settle and then also give him games in the NHL. But what I will say, just like Poitra did with Boston, Zach Benson earned a spot. He earned this opportunity. Now it's up to the team and Benson to figure out if this is really going to be the long term for the entire season. Fascinating situation. Exciting if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan to see a, a, a draft pick come in and seize a spot. Also, we've seen the Buffalo Sabres, and again, this was this is many, many different administrations ago, but we've seen the Buffalo Sabres rush prospects before they were ready. I'm looking at you, Mikhail Grigorenko, which is still one of, I think, one of the most botched developmental prospect situations I've ever seen in the league. Um, with, with with a player with tremendous talent who never fully reached it at the NHL level. Um, I think that patience is the name of the game with him. Also moving on in this uh, in this kind of this rookie class, a couple guys I want to go through quickly. Kevin Korchinski making the Chicago Blackhawks. Watched him against the Penguins. You saw very early on he made some very jumpy and jittery decisions with the puck. As the game went on, he got better. That's another player, though, where you know Chicago is probably going to lose a lot of games this year. Yes, they won the opener. They're probably going to lose a lot of games this year. You watch that team and the way they play that game. If Peter Morazic doesn't have a great game, they don't win that game, um, and they might have even gotten blown out. But they got great goaltending, and that made all the difference. Kevin Korchinski, though, I think there's poise. I think there's, you know, there's a lot there. The Blackhawks are trying to develop that new core that's going to include Connor Bedard and Lucas Reichel and Korchinski and some of their other young players. But I also think that, you know, making sure that Korchinski isn't in a situation where he's in over his head for the entire season is going to be important. So that is another one that I think this should be monitored. Um, same with Pavel Mintukov for the Anaheim Ducks. He does make the opening night roster. Olin Zellweger sent back to uh, the AHL. We'll see how long Mintukov ends up staying with Anaheim. Um, that's a that's one to watch in terms of defensemen. It can take a little bit longer. Um, another one that I'm really, you know, was surprised by, but a, a player that I really like a lot is Mackie Samuskevich from the Florida Panthers. Did not anticipate he would make the opening night roster, but we know Florida is dealing with a lot of injuries. They're dealing with guys that are going to be out kind of longer term or at least at the start of the season. So you bring in Mackie Samuskevich, former first rounder, played for Michigan last year, has good speed, you know, has some offensive ability. He's in the opening night roster. That's another guy where I think he probably needs more time in the AHL to be fully ready. But this was a this was a need based decision, and also a decision where you know Samuskevich made it hard for him to be sent to the AHL. So that's one to watch. Fraser Minton for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Another guy where this is a situation where I think you've got a prospect who fits into a role. That's the other thing is sometimes when these prospects make the NHL earlier than expected. It's not because they're a superstar talent. It's because there was a hole that they fit and could fit into and could play, and it was a role that the team envisioned that might be the long-term role for that player. Sometimes you see it, it's a sixth defenseman. Sometimes it's a fourth-line center. Sometimes it's a you know a third-line wing. Fraser Minton gets an opportunity um, with Toronto. Also, obviously, the cap gymnastics that that team continues to have to do, it allows for opportunities for guys like Fraser Minton to seize a role where he might fit that better than some of the more established prospects. 
Um, last guy I wanted to talk about on this group, uh, last two guys rather, Johnny Beecher for the Boston Bruins, you know, 2019 first round draft pick. Um, a lot of guys from that draft class have already made their NHL debuts. Uh, you know, Beecher played a couple of years at Michigan. He dealt with some injuries over that time, played uh, some in the, the AHL last year, and now he's getting his opportunity in the NHL. You know, big power forward. That's another guy where he kind of fits into a role. Is it ultimately, you know, first round draft picks, they get these billings of, of being a first rounder. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be, you know, a top six guy. I think Johnny Beecher is a bottom six player, uh, a potential power winger. And now he's going to have an opportunity to prove himself at the NHL level. And then the last guy that I'll mention is one who um, I've really enjoyed watch play for the last several years at various levels. He's uh, a USHL alum. And also an incredibly intelligent hockey player and an absolute work ethic on him that I think is the biggest reason he's making it to the NHL at this stage of his career. And that's Bobby Brink. Uh, played for the Sioux City Musketeers, played for the University of Denver. Uh, Brink is not a big man. He is also not a very fast skater, but he has a tremendous work ethic, dogged uh, in puck pursuit, high, high-end vision, high-end hockey sense. He had seven points in the preseason. Uh, Danny Briere said yesterday, uh, the the Flyers GM, that he was their best forward in your training camp. Now, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, that might worry you a little bit when you have a bunch of established NHLers on your roster. But Bobby Brink making that team um, and basically forcing them into putting him into an elevated role in their in their uh, in their lineup. Total credit to that player. But again. We always have to be careful. I think the preseason can lie a little bit. It's not real NHL hockey. It's close, but it's not the same. The at, When everything ramps up, the game moves faster. It's more physical. There's less time. So all these players that we just talked about have to continually prove that they can keep up. And for some of those guys, they might hit a wall. Some of them might not. Some of them might be superstars in the making. And maybe they're even Calder Trophy candidates in this group. But I think when we talk about the players that we just talked about there, you know, huge credit to them for a good preseason. Now it's up to the NHL teams to make sure they do right by those players, because I've never seen a team make a mistake on letting a player stay in junior or stay in the AHL too long. I've seen a lot of teams make the mistake of rushing a player before he was ready because of a need-based decision. And it goes absolutely South on that team and on that player. Not always fair, but that's the way the sport works. All right. So the NHL really excited that it's back, excited to continue to watch these young rookies, but also last weekend was the beginning of college hockey season. We had Brad Schlossman on last week. If you didn't catch that episode, plenty of content relevant to now, plenty of teams that still have yet to play. So go listen to last week's episode with the, the, the lengthy college hockey preview special that we do every year. It's always great to talk with Brad, and we had a lot to talk about. But let's get to what happened over the weekend and just a couple of little recap things, more just on the prospect side of things rather than the team side of things. But Boston University, we were uh, happy to have their game on Saturday on Flow. They played at Bentley. Um, and that one was a close game. Uh, goes down to overtime. Lane Hudson, the Montreal Canadiens prospect, wins it in overtime. But the game, uh, the play of the game that got a lot of the buzz was Macklin celebrating the top projected pick for 2024, scoring his first career collegiate goal uh, on a rush play, made a nice move, tucked the puck just inside the post and around the goalie's outstretched pad. 
And it was another quintessential Macklin Celebrini goal. He is so dangerous in transition, so dangerous on the rush. And he has just supreme confidence to make plays with the puck that he's going to hold on to it until the last second until he can make that play. Brilliant goal by him. He's already off. And the most important thing about Macklin Celebrini isn't just that he scored a goal. It's that he's healthy. It's that he was ready to start the season on time. There were a lot of doubts. He did not play in the Holinka Gretzky Cup. But there were a lot of doubts about whether or not he would start the season on time. He had off-season shoulder surgery, worked really hard to get back in time, was fully ready. Boston University was not going to jeopardize his health or his season um, unless he was fully ready. They, they, they went right down to the wire to the week of. He, they make the decision to put him in the lineup. He rewards them with a goal, and he looks healthy. So big, big weekend for him and big weekend for Boston University because even though they had a very tough game against Bentley, and good on Bentley for giving them an absolute show there and making it a very tough game on the number one team in the nation, you know this is a team that has a ton of offensive firepower. You look at Lane Hudson, you look at Macklin Celebrini, who also assisted on Hudson's game-winning goal. This is a team that's going to score a lot. The question is going to come down to, is Matthew Caron, their goaltender, is he going to be enough? Is he going to be able to, to hold the fort? Are they going to defend at a high enough level to you know kind of keep some of these other teams at bay? They've got some nice additions. Tom, Tom Olander did not play in that game. He's not eligible yet. He's got to sit one more before he can come in and play for Boston University, but really excited. And, and, and I think that Celebrini is going to be a, a big-time player. He's going to be great for college hockey. He's already got two points through his first collegiate game. Moving on to another NHL draft eligible player in college hockey this year, Artem Levshunov, uh, the defenseman for, for Michigan State. Michigan State sweeps Lake Superior State. Um, they were at home in East Lansing. Levshunov had a goal and an assist on the weekend. He looks outstanding. We've got a question about him later in the show as we get to our, our weekly Q&A. Uh, but Artem Levshunov, Looks comfortable, looks ready. And I think that one of the questions about him coming in, how is he going to adjust to the pace? How is he going to adjust to the physicality? You know, he, he had a slight adjustment period last year at the uh, at the USHL with the Green Bay Gamblers, but he looked comfortable. He looked easy. The game looked easy to him. Um, and now, you know, Michigan State's going to have a very tough schedule throughout the year. They'll be on flow hockey this week, Thursday and Friday. Uh, playing the Air Force Academy. We'll also have Michigan State on later in the year on flow hockey as well. So a couple of opportunities to get a good long look at Lev Shunov, who you know, I think could be a top five pick in this draft. That's how good of a defenseman I think he is and how much I think he's going to make an impact this year at Michigan State. Another individual performance I wanted to spotlight, and we had this one on flow hockey as well, and that was Massimo Rizzo, now a, a prospect of the Philadelphia Flyers, was traded by the Carolina Hurricanes and now is a property of the Philadelphia Flyers, but he plays for the University of Denver right now, and he's the top returning scorer for that team. And he had seven assists over two games for Denver. Jack Devine had four goals and two assists, so six points for him. Florida Panthers prospect really breaking out. Now, Alaska Fairbanks, Maybe, you, you know, this is a team that was on the cusp of making the NCAA tournament last year. They did sustain a couple of losses from their roster. But what did they get? You know, like they, they, this is a team that is really hard to play against on the road. 
Denver went in there, and I'm telling you, Denver looks good. And they are one of the teams that if you go on to our power rankings right now, even though it was a, a short weekend and uh, a dominant weekend, I had to move them up on the power rankings. They're now number two right behind Boston University. And I think you can make a strong case that Denver is the deepest team in the NCAA right now. I like their goaltending that they have. I think the defense has enough experience. And then they also have Zeev Booyam, who's a young guy, scored his first collegiate goal this weekend, also draft eligible this year. The younger brother of Shai Booyam, who's a, a big, big defenseman for that team. Um, I, I think that Denver is going to be a force once again, and that's a team that I'm really excited to see. Uh, it was a pleasure to have them on Flow Hockey last weekend. One more player that I wanted to chat about, and this was a, an exhibition game, and I almost never, ever bring up exhibition games. They don't count in the standings. The stats don't count. It doesn't really matter. A lot of the the, the NCAA teams play Canadian university teams, and the, the record for the U.S. teams in, that, in those games is, is pretty lopsided typically. North Dakota is a team that they ended up, they ended up beating Manitoba 10-0. And the reason I bring this game up, a game that did not count, was this particular stat that struck me. Jaden Perron, freshman forward for North Dakota. Outstanding player for the Chicago Steel last year, draft pick of the Carolina Hurricanes. Dynamic offensive talent. He had three goals, but he also had seven shots on goal. The entire Manitoba team had six. So yes, one player outshot an entire team in a game this weekend, and that was Jaden Perron. Now, North Dakota has got some, some big non-conference games throughout the year. Then they'll go into that NCHC schedule. I don't know what to make of the Fighting Hawks quite yet. I really don't. I think that this is a team that is going to score. You've got Perron. You've got Jackson Blake. You've got Reese Gaber. You, what you may not have and what I'm not as certain about is do you have a high-end defense? Do you have high-end goaltending? They got brought in a transfer in Ludwig Person, who came from the from Miami of Ohio, and he's now their goaltender. You know, there were a lot of games that he kept Miami in, and if he can do that for North Dakota, he's going to get more goal support, no question about it. But when you see that stat that Jaden Baran outshot an entire team of players in one exhibition game, it does you got to think about it a little bit, and so. Big weekend for Jaden Perron. Not really surprised. He was on our top college freshman list that we put out uh, uh, last week. So if you haven't checked that out for sure, get a little more info on this really, really exciting freshman class in college hockey. Before we move on from the college stuff, I did want to quickly address that there is a ton of fantastic college hockey games on Flow Hockey this weekend, as I mentioned, Michigan State versus Air Force. Got a pair of those games on Thursday and Friday. We'll have the University of Minnesota taking on St. Thomas at the XL Energy Center. That will be streaming on Flow Hockey on Friday night. Make sure you get that. That is Minnesota's home or Minnesota's uh, opening game. St. Thomas had a great split last weekend with St. Cloud State. They won the first game of the season in overtime. Ryder Donovan, a uh, a draft pick of the Vegas Golden Knights, he scored the overtime game winner. It was a transfer from Wisconsin. Took a lot of last season off. Um, actually, was at sorry, he was at Vermont, 
uh, and then took a lot of last season off and then moved over and got closer to home and played for St. Thomas. Great moment for him. We'll also have Wisconsin. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so excited. I'm coughing over it. Um, we have Wisconsin at Bemidji State. UConn at Holy Cross, defending national champion Quinnipiac at AIC, Western Michigan at Ferris State as part of a home-and-home, Alaska at Michigan Tech, and so much more. Do not miss a great, great weekend of college hockey on Flow Hockey. And those uh, those games involving Bemidji State are part of the Icebreaker Tournament, so make sure you check that out. It is one of the great kickoff events of the college hockey season, and it's been our pleasure over the last two years to bring one half of the icebreaker to you on Flow Hockey. All right, another thing I'm really excited about, um, and I think that NHL fans are starting to get a little bit more engaged, and I hope that they continue to be a little bit more engaged with it, but this weekend marks the start of the American Hockey League season, and what a season it was last year. Tons of young players in the AHL, guys that are high-end prospects, guys that we expect to be NHL stars down the line, played in the AHL last season, and that happens every year. The league just put out, you know, there are 87% of NHL players, 87% of NHL players spent time in the American Hockey League. So it takes a pretty special player to skip this step, which is also instructive as make sure you know what your prospects are before, you know, skipping this kind of important step. There are going to be a number of players under the age of 20 in the AHL. Now, as you know, the CHL-NHL agreement does not allow junior age players to go back to the AHL before they've played their 19-year-old season in the CHL. So QMJHL, OHL, WHL. However, one of the players that was made an exception for just because he, he was an exceptional status player, there was also the pandemic season, there was all this other stuff, that was Shane Wright. So Shane Wright did not make the Seattle Kraken out of camp. And if that was a surprise to you, I think that you have to go back and look at last season and see just the way things went. Now, Shane Wright, when he was in the AHL last year, looked really, really good. Um, and I'm excited to see what he does with some consistency in his season. Think about the fact that he starts with Seattle. He's in and out of the lineup, gets sent to, to Coachella Valley, looks great there, but then he goes to the World Juniors, helps Canada win a gold medal, was the captain of the team, was a, a key figure in a gold medal victory. Wasn't the best player on the team. That was some guy named Connor Bedard, but he made an impact, scored a big goal in the gold medal game as well. And then he returned to Coachella Valley. He goes to Windsor. Windsor flames out of the playoffs, and then you know he ends up there. He didn't make much of an impact in the playoffs. Then he goes to the Calder Cup playoffs, plays for Coachella Valley again. So it's been a runaround for Shane Wright. So what I hope happens for him, you know, th let's think about this. This is a guy who's been scrutinized and under the spotlight for a long time. I think he needs a season of normalcy. He just needs a season where he can kind of figure things out. Now, maybe he becomes available for Canada at the World Juniors, and that might be a good thing for him. Um, but at the same time, we'll see what happens in Coachella Valley. But Shane Wright needs to play. He needs to play a lot. He needs to be put in a lot of different situations. And just because he hasn't been ready for the NHL as quickly as people expected him to be, doesn't mean that he's a prospect that you just kind of forget about. So I do think that Shane Wright has plenty to prove. Again, he's under 20. He'll be one of the youngest players in the AHL this season. 
Give him time. Give him patience. And if you're a Seattle Kraken fan, I guess give him a little bit of love too because it's not easy when you have all those expectations that he's had on him since he was 15 years old. Um, and now we have to see uh, you know, him potentially live up to it. And if he needs any inspiration, there are plenty of other guys that needed extra time in the AHL. Some other interesting prospects that will be playing the AHL this year that are U-20s. Uh, Leon Bichelle, defenseman from the, the Dallas system, playing for the Texas Stars. Big guy, athletic, played in the Swiss League. You know, he's got a lot of talent. He has a lot of talent, um, and he also has that size and athleticism. And so when you have that, you know, there's a lot to be mined from that. And I think a, a season in the AHL is ultimately going to be great for him. Maybe he's a late-season call-up for Dallas, depending on how things go. Marco Casper will be spending a good chunk of the season with the Grand Rapids Griffins. You know, I think that it's going to be his opportunity to be a top six center at the AHL level, find some common ground with, you know, where things are, where, how he's supposed to play to be a member of the Detroit Red Wings. Big fan of his game. I think he's a mature player. I think he's an incredibly intelligent player and he works hard. This is going to benefit him in a great way. Um, Joachim Kamel, sniper for, you know, the, in the, in the predator system, I think that he's going to be another player that benefits from more time in the AHL, getting an opportunity to, to score some goals, get his confidence up. Um, but then a couple of guys that are returning that are under 20, the guys that played in the uh, AHL last season, Yuri Kulik and Simone Nemich, both of them will be eligible to play in the World Juniors. Nemich, you know, I don't think he really fits the Devils yet uh, as a team that has legitimate aspirations for the playoffs. But uh, Kulik... I think it was just a, a numbers game, really. And you had Zach Benson kind of come in and, and seize, a, seize a spot. And now Kulik will have an opportunity after having a tremendous goal-scoring season in the AHL to get another year of development under Seth Appert there in Rochester and then move on to the the uh, NHL. I think he's going to be a top-six scorer. I really do. I think at worst, a middle-six guy that has some huge scoring pop. Um, I think that's a player that Buffalo is going to get a lot out of. And if nothing else... He's also an asset for Buffalo if, hey, this is a team that absolutely should be expecting to make the playoffs this year. And maybe Kulik is a guy who helps in that way where you kind of move move them somewhere else. You never know. You never know. Um, some other notable prospects that I just wanted to call out as we get ready to start the AHL season. Jesper Wallstedt heading back to the Iowa Wild. You know, Minnesota has a logjam of veteran goaltenders right now uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, with Johansson uh, or Gustafson, rather, um, you know they have they have some real good talent between the pipes. Jesper Wallstedt, no worries. You know most goalies are going to take a couple of years in the AHL. Wallstedt is in a situation where he's the heir, heir apparent. There's a couple of incumbent guys. He needs to play. Iowa is the place for him to do that. Really excited to see how he progresses. Um, you know, especially now that Dustin Wolf, we'll see where he ends up. Um, he's currently back in the AHL, but if he goes up to the Calgary Flames, you have to think Wallstedt is a favorite to be the goalie of the year in the AHL. Uh, David Juracek is back with the Cleveland Monsters, as we mentioned a little bit ago. Olin Zellweger heading to the San Diego Gulls. Think he's got a chance to do a lot. Uh, Simon Edmondson heading back to the Grand Rapids Griffins. I think if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, you might be a little bit disappointed by that, but this is a guy who needed to earn his spot, hasn't done it yet, needs some more time. Nothing wrong with that. There's plenty still there to be excited about. Uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of people were probably surprised to see Brant Clark start the season. I think he's going to be with the Kings off and on throughout the year, uh, but he starts the season in Ontario. 
Dylan Gunther, another guy who will be with the Tucson Roadrunners. He uh, doesn't make the Coyotes out of camp, which I think is probably a surprise for a lot of us, just given the fact that he's gotten some NHL games already. Um, but he's heading that way. And then Brad Lambert of the Manitoba Moose, you know, getting a chance to get a full AHL season after he was sent back, and I think it was the correct decision, sent back to the WHL for some extra junior time. So all good there. But the AHL, as a reminder, it's one, you know, I personally feel, I know a lot of people say the KHL is the second best league in the in the world. In terms of all the, the quality of play, the quality of games, and I think the quality of development, I think the AHL is the second best league in the world. There are a lot of guys that are ex-NHL players. There are a lot of guys that have been longtime AHL players. And, you know, you send some of those guys into international tournaments and different things like that, and you get to see just how good they are. Um, no disrespect to the KHL where there are a ton of high-end skill players. But, you know, if I'm looking, I've watched games in both leagues, and I'll tell you right now, the quality of game and the consistency of game in the AHL far exceeds that of the KHL. Um, and and I think that that's why, to me, the AHL is the second best league in the world behind the NHL, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow this year. Okay, so we've reached that stage of the podcast where it's about time to answer your questions and looking forward to doing that as I am every single week. A um, lot of questions about prospects. We've got college hockey questions. We've got NHL questions, and we've got some uh, additional stuff. But we are going to start with our pal Bad Puck Takes, and there are no bad puck takes, only bad people. I don't know what the, I don't know where I was going with that one. Anyway, Bad Puck Takes says, Ike Howard and Cole Eisenman, th- these are multiple questions, so I'm going to hit at least a few of them. Ike Howard and Cole Eisenman for World Junior Championship, who makes it? Uh, Sebastian Kosa versus Trey Augustine for the Wings goalie. Uh, rising USHL draft eligible guys, who is shocking people? Who is the best U.S. high school player this year? Undrafted college free agent preview, who is already on the radar. So we did a little bit of this last week. We did some of the undrafted college free agents. Um, one guy that that I think will be a big factor this year on that front is, is Victor Ostman, the goalie from Maine, which we mentioned last week. I also think Ben Steves, who Brad Schlossman mentioned, uh, from Minnesota Duluth. There's going to be a lot of attention on him this year. If he has another year like he did last year, I think a lot of NHL teams are going to be interested in talking to him. So those are just a couple of the guys on the radar. There are certainly a lot more, um, and there will be a lot going forward. Ike Howard versus Cole Iserman for the World Junior Team. Well, right as of right now, uh, Cole Iserman's status is a little bit up in the air. I don't know how how much, you know, we don't have details yet, but he did not play in Saturday's game. Um, there has been no status update in terms of whether or not he's going to play in the coming weeks. Um, the, the question that I have is if this is a, a longer term injury, you know, I think that he was already kind of on the outside looking in, but then he goes ahead and scores, you know, 10 goals and is like right away this season. Um, and you, you at least have to consider that kind of weapon. Um, if it was down to him and Ike Howard, I think Ike Howard has the leg up as the older player. Um, and also as a player that, you know, I think has some familiarity um, with the other guys on that roster that are going to be such key players like Frank Nazar, like, uh, you know, like Cutter Goche, players like that. Um, so I think if it came down to those two and if Iserman, depending on his, his status, you know, I think that it would probably end up being Howard. But still, you can't discount what what Iserman has done throughout the season. 
This question from from our pal Bad Puck Takes was also interesting as the Cosa versus Augustine question. Um, these are two players at various stages, different, very different stages of their development. Um, Trey Augustine is entering his first collegiate season. He's his draft plus one this season. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of uh, you know wait and see. In terms of pure ceiling potential, you know what we've seen over the years. Sebastian Cosa is a very intriguing talent. He is still very much a work in progress, um, and he didn't have a great rookie camp. Um, you know, wasn't amazing in other settings um, in the preseason. But I think when you look at his six six frame, his athleticism, his his you know his versatility, how well he played at various stretches last season, the ECHL. You know, I still think that Kosa has the edge. But if I'm looking at a player with technique, predictability, hockey sense. Trey Augustine is is the better of the two in that regard. That doesn't account for the ceiling between the two players. So I think that that's where we get a little bit more, um, you know, kind of there's a lot more nuance at that point um, when we talk that way. Um, another question about the USA rising USHL draft eligible guys and who's been a surprise. I really think Adam Kleber from the Lincoln Stars has been – that guy, we talked about him last week. We even set, set out a clip. You can check that clip out on YouTube about you know me talking about him, six foot five right shot defenseman. I mean, you know, there's a lot of teams that will want that kind of player. Um, his size profile, you know, like wow, if he if he puts it all together offensively, if he moves puck pucks effectively, if he keeps this mobility up, you know, he's a guy that could potentially sneak in the first round. I don't want to say that yet because I think it's too early and you can get sucked into early results and you have to let this, the whole season play out. If you looked at his entire body of work, you're probably saying early day two pick, maybe a second or third rounder. Um, but that's where he's at. And and he's a really good player and committed to the University of Minnesota Duluth. He's the guy that I think is taking the biggest step forward as a draft prospect from one season to the next um, among those USHL players. Um, also, for the best high school player this year, I mean, it kind of depends on, you know, do you mean best high school player for the draft? And if you do, um, you know, I haven't gotten as deep into the high school ranks yet, but I know one guy that I think NHL teams are going to be keeping a particularly close eye on um, is Hagen Burroughs, who's with the Sioux City Musketeers right now. Could go back to Minnetonka and play out his, his final high school season there. If he does, I think that's the player that has the best chance of of, of reaching the uh, NHL draft um, and in the earlier stages, he's got size, he's got some heaviness to him and he's got some, some finish. So Hagen Burroughs would be the guy that I would be talking about there. All right, let's get back to the college hockey questions. And this one comes from Chad. And so Chad asks, do you think Stephen Halliday will win the Hobie Baker award? So the Stephen Halliday will, do you think he'll win the Holby Baker Award? So Stephen Halliday plays for Ohio State. Um, you know, I think that he is a, a an interesting player. He had a great season last year. Um, I think that he is one of those guys that you have to have a lot of respect for um, based on the USHL career that he had. Um, I just think that this field is going to be so crowded, um, you know, so crowded that that he's going to be it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to for him to win that award especially as a sophomore you have to have a special season um as a sophomore so will Stephen Halliday win the Hobie Baker award you know i think it's certainly 
not out of the realm of possibility. He was on the watch list as an on the radar guy that I put out last week. And that was more players that, you know, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned because I think that the, the package they put together um, is important, but you know, I, I just don't think that it's something that is it likely I would say no, but at the same time, I think he's among the players that could compete for that award. All right. We're moving on now to our next question. And that one comes from Pete. And these next two questions are probably tied, but I'm going to ask answer this one first from Pete. And he and he asks, "You need a two-way top pair defenseman in the 24 draft. Who has a chance to be that? What are you looking for the rest of the way to sort them out?" So, I think when we're looking for the modern two-way defenseman, we're we're typically looking for a guy who's really good offensively and and good enough defensively. I feel like that's what we look for. However, I think that there are players that you see across the league that and 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 you start to see some of these players as prospects too. You think about Brock Faber, offensively fine, not amazing, but brilliant defensively. Um, you know, he's kind of that that more He's what we would call the shutdown defenseman now, but he's got enough offense to produce. Because I think if you're going to play in the NHL, you have to be able to move pucks. You have to be able to make plays. Um, Artem Levshunov, to me, is the guy that I feel most comfortable with based on what I've seen so far. Um, you know, I think Anton Siliev, the the KHL defenseman that's getting a ton of attention. He's putting up big numbers. He's huge. He's got, you know, he's doing a lot of special things in the KHL. So I think he's in that mix too. You know, Sam Dickinson, I don't necessarily know if the defensive capability is there to where I would say fully two-way defenseman. Henry Muse is another one. Like there's a lot of good defensemen in this draft, guys that are true two-way players. But I think of the guys that I feel is most proficient defensively, and offensively, that's Lev Shunov, the guy that has both in really high order. Um, and he's very mobile. He's big. He's He's got some size to him. He's hard to knock off pucks. He takes guys off pucks very easily. I think Artem Lev Shunov is that guy uh, to, to keep that close eye on. And so to sort them out, you know, I think it's it's all about consistency. If, if Lev Shunov goes into college hockey, there's no drop-off from the way that he played in the USHL last season. There's no doubt in my mind he's a top-10 pick. Um, he's got the size, the mobility, the, the the poise with the puck, all that stuff. He's got it. And so you have guys like that. I think you've got then Sam Dickinson, who's a little bit on the wilder side. He's got that offensive flair. He can score. Um, he's already putting up numbers in the OHL this season. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a really exciting prospect. But then you've also got Siliev, who's this massive frame you know, kind of has his whole career. You just, you can kind of start seeing him put the pieces together. And he kind of came out of nowhere this year. I don't think anybody really expected him to be this superstar that was producing at a high level already at the KHL. But he's, again, more that I trust him more offensively than I do defensively. Whereas I feel like Levshunov, there's, there's, a, there's a smaller gap between those skills. And that brings us to our next question, which is an interesting one from Dave. And uh, Dave asks, can Lev Shunov take over for Eis- take over Iserman at number two, given that he's playing in the NCAA? Well, one thing I'll say is that, you know, the level that you play at can help. It can hurt. It can, you know, it can create different levels of bias and whatever else. But I don't think him playing in the NCAA is going to ultimately be the decision 
uh, a, a key factor in the decision point. Yes, he can prove things against bigger, stronger competition. However, Cole Eiserman still likely going to play 16 plus games against college opponents this year. We're going to see him against those. We're going to see him in international competitions. We're going to see him continue to do what he's doing at the USHL level. Um, I think it'd be very difficult for the defenseman to overtake uh, Iserman. It's not out of the question. I think that you look at what Levshunov is and what he does. It's he is he fits the profile of a guy that should go really high in the draft. Um, you know, you look at how he performed at the USHL level, outproduced Owen Power um, in his rookie season at that level. He's also now in that NCAA where things are going to be more challenging. He already has two points through his first two games. If he has a really productive season, if he has you know, no questions about the defensive style that he plays and that the mobility, the work ethic, everything else, um, it's possible that he could be, you know, the first defenseman off the board and potentially be, you know, among the top picks. So uh, it's not out of the question. The pot, It's not, not out of the question. And I think you look at the way Michigan State is going to utilize him based on the first weekend. He's going to get a lot of ice time. He's going to get a lot of opportunity. And he is going to make an impact for that team in a very positive way, which will in turn impact his draft stock quite positively. All right, more draft talk, more draft prospect talk, and we're sticking with defensemen. And this one comes from at G Takashi, who asks, <coughs> excuse me, how does Cole Hudson compare to Lane Hudson? And who do you think will become the better player in the NHL? Well, Cole Hudson, of course, is the younger brother of Lane Hudson. And Lane Hudson drafted in the second round by the Montreal Canadiens. Now, Cole is a little bit taller than Lane was in his draft season. Cole is a is a straight 5'10". Uh, Lane was closer to 5'8", 5'9", in his draft season. He's now up to about 5'10". And as we've seen from Lane Hudson, he is a tremendously skilled player. However, his younger brother Cole beat his single-season scoring mark at the National Team Development Program and set a new record for single-season points by a defenseman last season. Got called up to the under-18 team, won a gold medal at the World Under-18 Championship, which is something that Lane did not do um, at the same age. <clears throat> so how do they compare? They are very similar in a lot of ways. They're stylistically similar. Um, what I think that where I think the difference is, is I think Lane Hudson is the more dynamic skater and puck handler. And I felt this way about Quinn Hughes versus Luke Hughes. And then Luke just continued to get better and better and better where it was comparable to Quinn in terms of his puck skills and his skating ability. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Cole as well. I, I think that Lane is just, he continues to add layers to his game. He's one of the best puck handlers. I don't care if we're talking about defensemen or forwards. He's one of the best puck handlers not currently in the NHL. I don't see that with Cole as much, but Cole gets pucks through. He makes good passes. He makes good plays. He's a talented individual in so many different ways. I, I think that this is a guy that will have a chance to be going the first round. He moves pucks well. I like the way that he defends. Um, I think Lane might have a little bit more of that competitive edge um, where, you know, I think he plays with a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder, but Cole Hudson, based on the numbers that he's produced in the, in the previous season and where we see where he can go. Um, I, I, I think he's, he's an exceptional player. Um, I think Lane ultimately has a few more tools and a few more refinements to his game 
that maybe comes with age and experience that Cole just will get over time. But if you were asking me today which one would be the better player in the NHL, I would say Lane. All right, another question on our NHL rookies, and this one comes from at Plot Hooks Hockey. And this one is about Felix Unger Sorum. And he said, What did you see from Felix Unger Sorum? Seemed to make a huge impression on the Carolina front office. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't watch a ton of uh, preseason games of the Carolina Hurricanes in particular. However, I heard the same things about Felix Unger Sorum. And He's one of those prospects where he impresses you not because you think he's going to be a superstar, but because he does so many things right. So he does so many things. He's a very detailed player. He has a high, a great work ethic. He makes little plays. He's responsible defensively. He has some skill. So he's one of those guys where you can kind of fit him into a lot of different places, and that's what I think coaches love, players that are versatile. And Felix Unger-Sorum is absolutely that player. He did end up getting sent back to Sweden, and the and the Hurricanes are in a little bit of a, a weird limbo because they don't have an AHL affiliate. So they're sending guys to a bunch of different teams. And I think, you know, sending Felix Unger-Sorum back to Sweden was ultimately the correct call um, to, you know, kind of get things going in the right direction. But now you've got a player that clearly plays a style that the head coach likes and a guy that fits within the style that you play. And that can be all the difference. So much of a prospect's success is dictated by the situation they're put in. And if you're drafted, but you're not a stylistic fit for the team, it doesn't help you. And if you're drafted uh, or, or you know, you go, you're put on the wrong line or you're put in the wrong position, you know, it doesn't help you. I think Felix Unger-Sorum is one of those guys that, that he can fit into anything you want him to do. And he'll find a way to excel at it. And it was not a surprise that he endeared himself so quickly to the coaching staff. He was one of those guys. He was lower on my list last year, but he was on my list, and I, and he belonged on my list. And I I think you know this is a, this is a really interesting player who is going to find a way to carve out a role for himself in the NHL, um, if not necessarily be you know a star player. And we've got just one more question. Before we get on out of here, and this one comes from MN Hockey Fan three thirty six, and this is about uh, another KHL question. This is what do you expect from Murat Huznutdinov now that he has been traded to Sochi? So, for those that don't know, Murat Huznutdinov was playing for the uh, for S- for Scott St. Petersburg, which is also where Kirill Capri or sorry, not Kirill Kaprizov, Matvey Mitchkov was playing. Now he goes to Sochi, where Matt Vay Mitchkov is playing. Um, and so you've got two younger players. Here's the thing. If I'm an NHL fan base or an NHL team, anytime my player or prospect is out of the SKA system, even if it's as on a loan, I'm happy. And the reason I'm happy is because Ska is not there to develop players, and they aren't going to try to develop players. They are going to try to win, and that is what they should do as a professional team. The KHL doesn't view itself as a as a developmental league, nor should they. I don't even think you know some of the other European leagues view themselves as developmental leagues. But ultimately, if you're an NHL fan, the only thing you care about is how those leagues develop your favorite team's players. And Scott is not a place where that happens. Um, their younger players don't get enough ice time for that to happen. So by trading who's new to the, uh, to, to Sochi, which is a, a, a team that actually beat ska uh, earlier this year. Um, 
that's a team that is going to have opportunity. It's a team where the the ice time will be there for um, the younger players. And in this particular situation for Murat, who I, I, I just have so much time for, um, I, I mean, he, he reminds me like when Matt Zuccarello is done, I feel like Murat Huznutinov is going to be the heir apparent to him in Minnesota uh, just because he plays with this, uh, you know, aggressiveness and speed and he's got skill and tenacity. Um, I just really like the way that he plays. And I think he's going to be a much he's going to be much better off for it in the end, being away from Scott and playing for Sochi. So the impact, I think, is hugely positive. Let him get a full season where he's playing a big, big minutes. And next year, he'll either be on the Iowa Wild or maybe he'll make the Minnesota Wild outright. Either way, you'll have him soon, and he'll he'll be better for the time that he gets with that other team. And that is the end of our question and answer. But before we leave, I just want to take a couple of minutes at the end of the show to talk about something um, that you know we learned about on Tuesday. So when the NHL season began, um, ESPN had their triple header of games, and normally – you know, NHL and ESPN, most people would think Barry Melrose. Um, and if you're of a certain age, you remember Barry Melrose as a coach. Um, then you remember him as an analyst. And uh, for a good chunk of the hockey population, for the years that ESPN did not have hockey, Barry Melrose was the only connection to hockey. Um, and I'll tell you something. So I I did work at ESPN for a couple of years, did not have many dealings with Barry, but did have a few. And whether it was in Bristol or at the Frozen Four, what an an amazingly nice guy, Um, a nice person. And um, the reason that we're talking about him in this way is, you know, we learned that he's retired, uh, retired from ESPN. He will no longer be on the air on ESPN. Um, and the reason for that is that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, and, you know, I think that it's his opportunity now to spend more time with his family. Obviously, Parkinson's, it's, it's, it's a disease that has impacted my own family. Um, and, you know, it is, it is a very difficult thing to, um, you know, to, to watch a person have to fight. But I'll tell you, you know, Barry Melrose, for so many of us, was the voice of hockey for ESPN and, and then also you know, going back to NHL two night on ESPN two, back when they had like the little scribbly letters instead of, you know, the, the, the proper ESPN logo and the, and the different things uh, that he did. And then also being at the Stanley cup every year with Steve Levy, um, you know, don't let the suits that he wore fool you. Barry was a no frills kind of guy. And the thing that I respected most about him is in those team settings with ESPN, he was just another guy, even though he was probably the most famous of all of us. Uh, he he didn't act like it, um, and he was always uh, very kind and and listened and and cared about what you had to say, um, and didn't just have to talk over everybody. And I really respected that about Barry. And I wish him and his family all the best in retirement. Um, I'm so thankful that our paths crossed. Um, you know, and I'm also real thankful that for all those years that I had loving this game and him being a part of it as our viewing experience and also, you know, in the various ways as a player, as a coach and, and everything else. But, uh, we wish all the best to Barry Melrose, um, as Neil Everett always used to say when signing off from a segment with Barry Melrose, cool is the rule. And, uh, boy, was that ever true and will always be true about Barry Melrose. 
All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We will be back next week to talk about the ECHL season, which will be coming up on Flow Hockey. We'll also talk a little bit about the SPHL and plenty more about prospects, like always. But thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.